The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, Lost Cause, written by Mercedes Lackey and Dennis Lee. Was it possible to feel more helpless than this? Vicky stared at the feed from Red's cell, because, of course, no one on this planet would be able to keep her out, and thought, Maybe. Maybe Mel feels more helpless. I don't know. But the screen showing his cell was only one of too many gone live with feeds from Krieger fights, and she couldn't spend more than a few seconds at a time staring at it. Her fingers danced among the five keyboards she had spread out around her workstation, and it was her voice, commanding, reassuring, warning, coordinating. That was the one people on the now-extensive Overwatch command network listened for. There was a fight over Lyon in France that had just turned in their favor, and she let Overwatch Paris know it a few seconds before they would have seen it themselves, so Noel in Paris could get the French Air Force to press the advantage. Overwatch Hamburg was bracing for an incoming wave, and she quickly fed all the data she could scrape off the net to Joachim's feeds. The Colts were handling three fights, one over Chicago, one over Indianapolis, and one over Albuquerque, but they were doing just fine on their own, and she didn't jiggle their elbows. Overwatch Bombay was quiet, but eight ball alerted on them, and she widened the radar in time to catch the weird flickering pattern that preceded a wave of death spheres out in the Indian Ocean. Vishwatika, you've got incoming, she pinged the operator. Vector 989, they'll be on your radar in 30 seconds. Roger that, Vishwatika responded. And then the radar cleared, and there were the spheres, and Echo Bombay went hot. She lost track of time, lost herself in the work, and only when the last of the fights ended, and Echo and the various armed forces of the planet retreated to lick their wounds, did she look back at the screen that held the genie. She rubbed eyes gone sore and tired, but she wasn't exhausted enough yet to sleep. And there was no point in trying to sleep before she was seconds from getting keyboard face, because she'd only lie there, staring up into the dark, her hands clasped over the claw she wore around her neck. His claw. All she had of him. All she dared have of him. Because he was not for her. Even if, especially if he were still free, he was not for her. She didn't have the sound on, but he was pacing, pacing like an animal in a cage. She tore her eyes away from the screen and dove under her desk. She started installing cables to 8-Ball, another problem to tackle while she had a moment, but at least a positive one. She hadn't hooked 8-Ball up to the full real world or to her Overwatch rigs yet. She was stalling on it, really. Like I'm stalling on talking to Red. But at least she could get all the cabling in place, so when she finally decided to bite the bullet... It could be done in five minutes. Eight had a camera of his own in the upper corner of the Overwatch room now, and it was under his complete control. She could hear it whirring as she worked, watching what she was doing, watching all the monitors, sipping the analog information stream that he probably wanted to gulp down in huge digital swallows. 
Not yet. Not until I'm sure. She came out from under the desk, satisfied that everything was in place, all neatly color-coded. Tiny victory. Go me. And another thing occurred to her. Add talismanic type preset spells. Something eight can trigger when I have my hands full. The easiest one for that would be a location spell based on the laws of contamination and unity. Just to see if it was possible, she spent a few minutes putting one together and tucked it in a kind of memory module in eight's M space. Once she plugged eight in, he'd have access to all the CCCP and Echo spell packets that were wired to her Overwatch rig, so he'd be able to trace anyone in that bank of packets. Then to see if she could really make this practical, she did the same thing a half dozen times. It seemed to work. It would be ready to test when she was ready to pull eight's trigger. Her eyes went to Red's monitor, as faithful as a compass needle. Red had stopped pacing and was back to sitting on his bunk. She reached absently for a meal can and rested her chin on one hand and stared at him while she sipped. Because this isn't stalkerish and weird at all. Had he done everything Jensen claimed he had? Killed that poor kid of a guard? No doubt. Shot down the rest? Certainly helped. Stolen stuff out of the vault? Absolutely. Pushed Amethyst into that energy weapon? Not a chance. She'd slowly dug up quite a bit of that past with Amethyst that Jensen had pulled up like an evil rabbit out of a hat. And, no, there was nothing in that past that said to her that Red would have done anything other than throw himself between that fatal weapon and the Echo Op if he'd known what was about to happen. I saw his face when that thing in New Orleans tried to impersonate her. It wasn't Red that broke all things between them. It was her, and he was still carrying a candle, if not a torch, for her. She sighed. She probably figured out she'd never change him until he wanted to change. And she wouldn't settle for a bad boy, which is why she fell for Bulwark. Lots of practice writing romance novels got you pretty good at analyzing relationships. Well, as long as they didn't involve angels, then all bets were off. And there was something else she was sure of, as sure as Bella was, in fact. The genie in that cell was not the same man who'd killed those guards. The man who'd killed those guards was someone she wouldn't have allowed near her door. The man who'd kept her from killing herself that horrible night was one she would trust with her soul. After all, he already had her heart, even if he didn't know it. She just wished he'd talk to her, ask her for something, anything including, truth to tell, help in breaking him out. She sighed, and her eyes stung, and she wiped at them with the back of her scarred hand. It's going to be a long night. In the bare confines of his cell, Red Genie was putting on a show. This was Top Hold, a rather nice step up from the last time he had been incarcerated in an Echo Jail. While the cell was just as bare, 
The security here was considerably higher than the simple concrete and steel accommodations of the last, with reinforced, gleaming white walls of some unknown indestructible polymer and heavy security measures humming through high-tech sliding doors. At least the solid platform that served as his bed was padded. Red had spent the last couple of days doing calisthenics, eating subpar meals that a guard would slide through a small slot in the door, sleeping, and generally pacing about, as if terribly concerned over whatever the fates had in store for him. It was the sort of behavior one would expect from an inmate who had just been charged with multiple counts of breaking and entering, theft, assault, and murder. At the mercy of a military and peacekeeping organization like Echo, especially during wartime, the future looked bleak, to put it mildly. Red was fairly sure the death penalty would be on the table. And really, who could blame them? The destruction of the vault on the day of the invasion was one of many heavy losses to the once vast Echo Armory, and the loss of one of their most celebrated officers, Callsign Amethyst, had struck a major blow to the already devastated morale of the inhabitants of Atlanta. Here in seclusion, Red could only speculate what was happening beyond the walls of his simple cell, but he had a good idea. One of Echo's new heroes, the elusive Red Genie, a man with a mysterious past who had changed his ways and was now a fighter for the people, was responsible for the death of Amethyst. The Amethyst. The poster girl for all that was good and pure in meta-powered law enforcement. The girl who had never in her entire decorated career forgotten the plight of the common man, woman, and child. The girl who came from a poor upbringing in Hell's Kitchen, battled countless villains first in Manhattan and then across the breadth of the vast expanse of America and even the world. The girl who had humbly come to make Atlanta her home, had shared numerous charity organizations that fought everything, from poverty to disease to breaking down social boundaries of race, creed, and sexuality. Yes, that amethyst. And Red Genie had killed her. People would be screaming for his blood right about now. He figured it probably would save everyone a lot of time and effort to just let him out, drop him on some busy corner in downtown Atlanta, and let the populace tear him to pieces. They could even televise it, make a few sponsorship bucks. Welcome to Justice in Atlanta, the execution of Red Genie. Brought to you by Charpette, the closest shave a man can get without slitting his own goddamn throat. And by Dry Z Pads, when a gal just needs to be sure. But knowing Echo, Red Genie was certain he was in for some prolonged time in isolation. Perhaps an even longer trial where the prosecution would present some extremely damning and bloody evidence, and they would hang him, figuratively speaking, following their usually quick and efficient protocols. Even now, with the world in the balance against a renewed onslaught of Krieger attacks, Echo would make an example out of him. They really didn't have any choice. And for his part, he would let them. He had known this day would come eventually. He had hoped it would come later, you know, perhaps after a time when humanity wasn't fighting for its very existence. At that point... They would either be standing victorious, and he couldn't say he really cared what happened to him at that point, or they would be defeated, defenseless, and it really wouldn't matter then, would it? 
they were going to come after him with everything they had, and he would let them. He would play the part. He would wring his hands and plead, and in dark public moments, he would show flashes of something sinister that bubbled beneath the surface. He would give them their villain and let them reach closure when they ended him. They needed it, and he needed her memory to live on. Pristine. Heroic. Because that's who she truly was. So he moped. He paced around his cell, and he brooded, because that's what they needed to see. What they didn't see was the preparation, the mental exercises and silent mantras that played over and over again in his head. He was preparing for the role of a lifetime, because he really wasn't that guy anymore, if he ever really had been. And it wasn't just about fooling the public, that was the easy part. He had been careless. He had let a few people in. He had let a precious few see glimpses of himself. Distancing himself from them was going to prove a bit more challenging. One of them was a freaking empath. Her boyfriend had some truly frightening abilities to read the truth from people just by observation. Another had shared his beds for months, and things had a way of slipping by the old defenses when that happened. He had ideas in place for all of them. What to do, say, vague ideas of slimy conduct that might convince them he was a genuine sociopathic mastermind. It was Victrix that he was drawing a blank on. Of all of them, she had seen the most. They had shared some truly spectacular, even intimate moments that had forged a surprisingly strong bond between them. Red had not seen that coming. With the others, he could formulate plans, backups, contingencies, and the like to build a strong case that he wasn't the man they had thought he was. With Vix, it was going to take more than just a barrage of insults and cold truths to sway her. She would see past all of it, and eventually figure out his game. She really was too smart for her own good. And what would she do then? Would she back his play? He doubted it. For now, he did the only thing he could. Stall. For as long as he could. She was watching him, he was sure of it, but she had not attempted contact yet. This was a good thing. But eventually, she would try talking to him. And he had no idea what he was going to say to her. Well, at least there was one small thing he could do right now. Overwatch he muttered under his breath. Reset privacy timer. Vicky fed another data dump into the standalone server for 8-Ball and watched as 8 sucked it dry in minutes. She suspected he'd have done it in seconds, but he was doing what humans did, considering what he was absorbing slash observing. I'm going to have to make a decision about him pretty soon. If I keep him in isolation much longer, he might get resentful. Her eyes went to Red's screen. Two days, almost three, and still nothing from him. No idea what was going through his head. She knew what was going through Jensen's, though, because the bastard was stupid enough to gloat where she had microphones. A show trial, and a big one, as if they could afford to take the time and resources for a show trial. And after that, Red was going to some special... project... Now, Jensen didn't know what Vicky knew about Murdoch's past, 
the word project combined with metas meant the same thing they'd just rescued a couple dozen kids from, and that meant they'd make him into a weapon. An expendable one. I can't take this anymore, she decided. Overwatch, open, red, private, she said, and cleared her throat awkwardly. So, she said, and stopped. She was greeted with the barely audible hiss of the open channel, and then... A needle-pulling thread? came the genie's dry response. Tea? she responded, feeling suddenly lightheaded. I can probably arrange that. Might be able to mess with the kitchen to get you slightly better meals. What do you want, Vix? Red asked. Can't a man rot in peace? She heard a ping from Eight Ball before she could react to that, and turned her head. Voice analysis suggests deception, Eight said, over his newly installed voice link, and only then did she realize she'd had Red on speaker. Overwatch, internal feed, Red, she said hastily. God damn it, Red muttered. You're sicking lie detectors on me now? Really? Have we come to this already? That's eight ball, she replied, moving out of the overwatch room and into the living room. I've been working on him, and I forgot I had you on speaker. You're just in my ear now, Penny Lane. Lovely, Red answered. What do you want? Honesty, she replied without thinking. Well, my balls are itching a bit, Red replied. Aside from that, I've been told I shouldn't say anything without a lawyer present. And I wanted to know if there was anything I could do for you. She held her breath. Well, now that you mention it, it would appear that I need a lawyer. So, yeah, maybe send me one. Doesn't even have to be a good one. I hear the case is pretty open and shut. I can do that, she said as steadily as she could. Fair warning, Jensen intends to make you his personal attack dog. Like he's going to make a project out of you. There was a long pause. You mean he's not angling for the chair? Red asked, his voice dreadfully quiet. I have it from the horse's ass. I mean, mouth. How can he do that? Red asked. That kind of sentence can't possibly be sanctioned by anyone. Not by Echo, not by the public. Are people not screaming for blood? People are too busy digging foxholes. This is wartime. Of course, she added. There's a hundred ways that I know of to make it look as if you'd been executed, and then you wake up elsewhere. But, you know, people are jerks, and they'd probably rather know you were on a leash with a shot collar attached, replaying they were expendable every week or so. She hadn't meant to say that much. She hadn't meant to say nearly that much. But she couldn't let him sit there without knowing what he was facing. Maybe that would make him fight. It didn't. Fine, he said. Whatever. 
her heart twisted into a hard, hurting knot. I'll get on that lawyer thing, she said softly. I don't think it'll take long. Anything else? Yeah, Red muttered. You can stop watching me. I know you're capturing the feed on the cell's camera, and I swear it's like I can feel your eyes on me. Cut it out. There was another long pause, and Vicky felt her hands locked on the sides of her chair. You got it, she said finally. You can still ping me on Overwatch if you, uh, need anything. I've got incoming. Overwatch close, red private. And then, as if the universe decided to make sure she wasn't a liar, she heard the alarms in the Overwatch room and scrambled back to her chair. Thank God. It was going to be a long night. He had said it in haste, still confused over how to handle her, and had sent her away. Red fought the urge to backpedal, to take it back and simply spill his guts out to her, when she abruptly excused herself and killed the channel. He sat down on his cot and let his head droop into his waiting hands. Summers believed in me, he muttered and she paid for it. But that's not going to happen to you, Vix. Maybe I can hide from them all, but not with you. So that's it, then. You get the truth. That's the only way to handle you. He stood up and approached his cell door. On the left, a small touchscreen flared to life as he approached. As part of the security system in top hold, each cell was equipped with one, responding only to registered handprint scans of on-duty guards and high-ranking officers like Bella and Bulwark. As most cells were insulated from conventional means of communication, they provided personnel a hardwired means to communicate with the outside. Inmates didn't have access. Some with special privileges were allowed brief periods of limited functionality, granting them supervised Skype calls, simple word processing, or even small windows to watch movies or television. Few inmates had friends in such high places as Red, though. He had never tried to access the panel, but suspected someone had perhaps left him a means to entertain himself while incarcerated here. Gently, he laid his palm on the cool interface, and was unsurprised when it responded with a gentle ping and full internet access. He ignored the video streaming and teleconference options, and instead opened an email browser. He exhaled, opened a new message, and began to type on the touchscreen keyboard. 2. Victoria Victrix. Vicky V at echo.net. From That Red Bastard. Red Bastard at echo.net. You asked if there was something else you can do for me. There is. You can keep this somewhere safe, and I leave it to you to do with as you think best. I suppose you can consider it a confession, but you know me well enough to realize I just need to get this out there, off my chest, and I suppose there's no one I trust more to have it than you. It's more than that, I guess. You might need to know some of this stuff. Hell, you probably deserve to more than anyone— but that doesn't mean you're going to thank me for it. More the opposite. But it needs to be said. So get ready, it's time for some damning truth. 
In a perfect world, well, in my perfect world, things would still be chaotic. I know, I'm in the minority here. If you're one of those people who strive for that great secure job with regular cash showers in your 10-acre estate, I'm sorry, I just don't get you. I can't think of any place more boring than the common perception of paradise. To have everything you want when you want it. When would you ever feel your blood rushing through your veins with the bit caught in your teeth, riding the razor's edge with a wind of flames at your back? As he typed, he felt his fingers moving faster, trying to keep up with the words that were aching to come out. He paused once, as he struggled to describe how Amethyst fell. It still hurt. The rest he scrambled to flesh out, desperate to be rid of it. And after, as he felt a tremendous weight lift from him, he paused again, his finger hovering over the send prompt. Not yet, he whispered, finally, and simply saved the message. He backed away from the console, letting it shut down, and sat back down on his bunk. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.